Thanks, Dean, and thanks to our singers for leading us in our worship of God tonight. And uh, I have told the story before about a couple of guys that I knew who were living in Union College. They were brothers who were non-ministerial students, and there were a number of Queen students who lived in Union. And uh, not, not the brothers here tonight, by the way, because Mark and David are looking at me. They did live in Union. This is not about them, okay? So that is the disclaimer because they look a wee bit worried. Different brothers, another set of brothers who came from near Cookstown, nowhere near Connor. And uh, they, when they first, or when the older one first got into Queens, decided to go and have a look around Queens and see where, they're going, where they were going to stay. And they got hopelessly lost and drove around in circles and drove around everywhere. And they eventually stopped the policeman to ask which part of Belfast they were in. And the policeman told them they were in Craigavon. So you can't get, you can't get much more off course than that. But sometimes we can lose our sense of direction. That can happen to us, sadly, and sometimes with terrible consequences to be more serious for a moment in the Christian life. It can happen to churches, to congregations, uh, to denominations, as well as individuals. And it was certainly the case for these Colossian Christians that the Apostle Paul was writing to that there were many people who were trying to steer them off in the wrong direction. And we can see this today. A couple of examples that I've noted down, um, a Christian aid magazine that was sent to me just by virtue of being a minister in which there was an article where it was argued that it was morally questionable to distribute Bibles with aid. Or we think of notable celebrity Christians who have fallen away. Jonathan Edwards, the athlete, not the great revivalist, but the athlete who fell away from his faith and ended up presenting a Channel 4 show, Spirituality Shopper. And the blurb for that show was that Britain today is home to many peoples and many faiths, and their products are available on our city streets. And if you can shop around and choose from 20 washing powders, why can't you pick and mix your religious practices too? And so, with all of this going on around us, it could become very easy for God's own people to begin to lose their way. And that was the case with the churches that Paul wrote to. Each one of these churches was facing enormous pressure from outside because of persecution and then facing the danger of false teaching from within. And in the, the midst of all of that, the external pressures, the internal fractures, Paul urged his brothers and sisters in Christ not to lose their heads, but to get back to the things of first importance. And so tonight, as we come to the start of a new session, and I know that this is a bit of an artificial kind of beginning, isn't it? In some ways, it's not a new year, but it kind of feels when you get into September, when the kids are getting back into school, when the summer holidays are behind us, that we are coming in to something new. Everything is starting up Sunday school, Bible class, uniformed organizations, organizations designed for adults. All of it will be resuming over the course of this month. 
And so it seems to me a good time to remind ourselves individually and corporately as a church what God would have us do as the church of Jesus Christ. If you want to put it like this, what is the job that God has for us to do? Well, here in these verses that we read in Colossians 4, we have a simple guide. They're verses that we've thought about before here in Connor, but they are verses that are well worth returning to this evening. And we know how this works. This is God ultimately speaking to us in this passage. We have a firm belief that all Scripture is God-breathed, that here Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And while we believe and accept that, it is worth restating tonight that these are words that are worth listening to, words that certainly should not be ignored. And in the case of this particular letter to the Colossians, we've thought about little snippets of it over the past few weeks. And it was a, a, a letter that was primarily designed to encourage and remind the Colossian believers that in Jesus Christ, they had absolutely everything that they needed. They did not need to add anything else to their faith. They did not need to look to other people or go to other places or look to other things in Jesus. They had been given everything that they needed for salvation, for godly living, and for life as God's people. And we have been able to, to trace through the letter that Jesus is best, if we want to, to use the holiday Bible club thing, that Jesus is better. Because Jesus is the only one who can be Savior. His work at the cross is a finished work. It is sufficient. And Jesus is the only one who is in charge of the church. He is the sole king and head of the church, just as he is the cornerstone on which the church is built. And so we think of the supremacy of Christ as well. And where we, we kind of jumped in and then left off last week was thinking about how Christ's supremacy should lead to our submission. And if you were to take time later on to read through chapter 3, the, the chapter prior to the one that we're briefly looking at tonight, you would see a chapter that talks a lot about changed lives, the kind of lives that those who put their faith in Christ should and can have. It's a chapter that talks about all the stuff that believers in Christ take off, the things that we get rid of because our priorities are changed by the work of God's Holy Spirit. But it's also a chapter that very positively talks about the things that we then put on towards godliness, the things that we clothe ourselves with, the qualities of God Himself, the characteristics of the Lord Jesus, ultimately governed by love. And then at the end of the chapter, coming into this chapter, we have the, the working out of this, the application, what this will look like in our lives at home and at work. So that's worth reading and thinking about tonight from verse 18 in chapter 3 up to the point where we started reading tonight. If you want to think about how you will live out your calling as a follower of Christ in this week that lies ahead, wherever it is that the Lord has placed you. So we have thought about how Christ's 
supremacy should lead to our submission. And that is a daily work. That is a daily exercise in repentance and in intentionally saying, I am going to no longer live for myself. I'm no, go no longer going to live by the standards of this world, but I am going to live keeping my eyes fixed on my Lord and Savior Jesus and living in the way that He has called me to. But then tonight, Christ's supremacy should lead to our service. It should lead to us working for the kingdom, and that's a good thing for us to think about and to be challenged about at the beginning of a time when we are going to be busy around this church. And here Paul reminds us of two very important things, two things that we can actually say are vital in the Christian life. He talks about the importance of speaking to God about people, and then he talks about the importance of speaking to people about God. So let's begin by thinking about the importance of speaking to God about people, verses 2 to 4. In other words, the great need that there is for us to pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in the lives of people so that they would respond in the right way to the good news about Jesus. And if you scan down through these verses, again, indeed, if you open your Bibles and look more carefully at these verses, as I refer back to various phrases, you'll get to see that this is practical, straightforward teaching. It's teaching that helps us to understand the way in which we should pray and what it is that we should pray for. First of all, how should we pray? And the simple answer is with persistence. Paul says in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Or as the ESV puts it, if people have the English Standard Version in front of you, it puts it like this, continue steadfastly in prayer. That's a really clear instruction. It is an instruction to be persistent in prayer, to pray doggedly. And that's a, an instruction that maybe sometimes we fail to obey because I know, or it can be in my prayer life, that that things come into my mind and I maybe pray for a person or pray for a situation once or twice, but then I just move on and that topic or that person is forgotten about. Paul is saying, pray with persistence for particular people. And clearly this is an instruction for people who have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because if you didn't believe in the authority of Jesus enough to trust Him, then it's unlikely that you will believe in the power of prayer. And it could be that that is the case for some people here tonight, that you actually are not sure about this, that maybe you never pray at all in your life. Because we'll only do things that we believe work. We will stop doing things if we think that they're not actually having any kind of effect or usefulness in our life. So maybe for some here tonight, it's a case of coming to know the one who we pray through, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then as people of faith in Christ persist in prayer, Paul says they are to be watchful and thankful. 
there is no place for complacency in our prayer life. We're not to adopt a carefree approach when it comes to this really important task. And also, we are not to forget to be thankful in praying. And that's a great reminder that prayer is not simply a shopping list of requests. It's not just like an itemized bill where we work our way through it, Lord, do this, sort out that, get that person sorted, get rid of this problem, and so on and so on. That as we talk about every single time we open up the Bible in our church and think biblically about prayer, that biblical prayer is much more about relationship than it is about request. Yes, we have a gracious heavenly Father who invites us to bring our needs and the needs of others before Him. Request is part of that, but it is not the be-all and the end-all of prayer. It is much more about relationship. And if you're engaged in a persistent prayer life, then you will begin to see the benefits of that in terms of your relationship with the Lord. And when we neglect prayer in our life, which we do at our peril, you begin to see how things quickly unravel. So there's no room for complacency, and we must not forget to be thankful. So let me ask you, are you persistent? Are you dogged in speaking to God about people? and interceding for them that God would look upon them in mercy and save them. We have a, a wonderful example of such persistent prayer in what unfolds in Genesis chapter 18. Have a read at that chapter later on tonight. It's a long chapter. We don't have time to look at it now, but I, I find it one of the most incredible chapters in Scripture because here is Abraham, and it almost feels like he is bargaining with God. But what he's actually doing is he is pleading to God for the people of the wicked city of Sodom. And maybe you're thinking, well, why did he bother praying for such people? Because Abraham was moved to pray for these people who, while they had been wicked, were made in the image of God. And so, in the unfolding narrative in Genesis 18, you have Abraham, and he keeps coming back. He keeps coming back he keeps begging the Lord for mercy. He keeps appealing to God by His very nature. He says, you know, God, this is what you're like. You are a God who is merciful. Would you be merciful if X number of people were found to be people who were faithful in NY and then Z? And so it goes on. It's the strength of desire that Abraham has to see them saved. And what an example for us, because we, I think, have lost that kind of burden for souls. And certainly the flip side of that, our lack of urgency is how moving it is in a prayer meeting when you hear someone pray for a loved one that they would be saved. And I've been a regular at prayer meetings down through the years where someone has prayed for a particular person or a particular group of people and they've done it week in, week out persistently and passionately. But what should we pray for? Well, Paul says, as we speak to God about people, 
we should be praying for the proclamation of the message to them. So, verse 3, he asks, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. I wonder, does that language, does that phrase sound familiar to you? It should, given what we've been looking at together recently in the book of Acts, what we've been reading about the experience of Lydia. Remember that in Acts 16? How the Lord opened her heart to respond to the message of Paul back in Acts 16, I think it's verse 14. And Paul has exactly the right approach here because he recognizes the sovereignty of God and he recognizes where he fits into all of that, that it is God himself who brings about the change in people's lives, that it is God by his Holy Spirit who opens the door of our hearts, who opens the way into people's lives so that they will respond to the gospel in the right way. And folks, this is why maybe I go on at such length about prayer and about the absolute importance of God's people and Connor coming together to pray, availing of those opportunities on the Lord's Day at the beginning and the end and on a Wednesday evening as well. Because we need to be pleading with the Lord at the beginning of this new session that the people that we come into contact with, the kids who will come in through this door, who have got no background in church whatsoever, their parents who will come to collect them, who will come to the enrollment service here, who will gather at other occasions, all of these people who came through our doors over the past two weeks, down on the green, the people that we met with, the people that we could share the good news of Jesus with, that God would be at work in their hearts, that He would transform our church, that He would change our community as only He can. Because it's as simple as this, and it's good to be prepared and to plan, of course it is, but if God is not in this by His Holy Spirit, then all our plans, all our strategies, all our session meetings, all of our talk, it will come to absolutely nothing. And Paul, as a preacher of the gospel, here in these verses, specifically asks people to pray for him that he would be faithful in the task. That's what he continues to ask them to pray about in verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it, that is the gospel message, clearly as I should. And I think that what Paul has in mind there, when you look at it in the context of his whole ministry and in the context of what he's saying in this letter, he's not so much asking for eloquence. He's not so much asking for clarity of speech. Oh, pray that my grammar is correct and that my diction is good. That, that's not the sense of what he's saying here. He's praying for guts, or he's asking them to pray that he would have guts. And when you think about his circumstances, that he is, if not in prison, certainly under house arrest in Rome as he is writing this letter, Paul is paying a big price for being a, a minister, a preacher of the gospel, and he needs courage to continue to proclaim that message in a clear way. And I would ask you to pray that for me, 
to pray that I would proclaim the Word of God clearly, as I should. I would ask you to pray that for others who come here, for Ben, who comes here once a month, to pray that this week for Marty and for Alistair, who will be praying next Lord's Day, to pray that for Brian and for Ian and our, 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 our friends around this village and the Gospel Hall down at the back of the water, all of these local congregations, to pray that for churches that we are linked into in gospel partnership, that you would make it a priority to pray with persistence for those known to you who are called to preach the Word of God. So, have you been speaking to God about people? Well, maybe speaking to God about anything is a bit of a strange concept for you. It's something that you're not entirely comfortable with. And we know what it's like to fall out of contact with people. That's a, a big danger, I guess, in my life and our lives because of the way in which we have moved about. And it gets to the point of awkwardness where you think, yeah, I should really make the step to reestablish contact, but you're not quite sure at that stage. Is it gone? Can I do that? Have you become a stranger to the Lord? Where it's got to the point where you, you hardly know where to begin. Here's where to begin. To come and to speak to God about a person, about yourself. And to begin to ask Him to help you put things right in your walk with Him again. And so, that's speaking to God about people. But then the other side of this, and very, very quickly, is Paul talks about the importance of speaking to people about God. And he talks about this in verses 5 to 6. As important as prayer is, and prayer is central to this, then this is the, the, the two sides of it, isn't it? That there could be people who dive on into the work of evangelism without ever seeking the Lord, and then they're, they're disappointed and they're wondering why what they're seeking to do isn't working. But we could pray and we could pray and we could continue to pray, but then we have to be part of the answer to that prayer by ourselves going out and making Jesus known, fulfilling our calling. And that's what I love about verse 3 in this passage, that it, in such a helpful way, holds side by side the need for God to act and the need for His people to act in evangelism. Because if you look at the first part of verse 3 again, pray that God may open a door for our message. In other words, it is God who opens the hearts of people to the truth about Jesus. We, as we've already discussed, can't bring about that change ourselves but then the second part of the verse, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And it's really the mystery of Christ. You could just replace that with the gospel of Christ. And it's not, this is something that is impossible to understand. It's more, this is incredible. This is amazing. This is just mind-blowing that God would do what He has done for us in Christ Jesus. Don't think about that as being some kind of secret knowledge it is just, wow, this is, this is beyond anything that I can get my head around, that God should look upon me as He does in Christ. That's what mystery is about. 
So it is a task of believers. It is our task to actually bring the message to people, which is, of course, a thing of grace on God's part. It's not that God is dependent. He's saying, oh, I could never do this without these people. In grace, He has chosen us to be involved, and then we must be faithful to that task. What a wonderful thing that He's given you and I a role to fulfill in this world. And what does Paul say to us when it comes to speaking to people about God? Well, again, it's such clear and practical teaching. He says, first of all, in verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So, we need to be praying for wisdom in our lives, for discernment, and we need to be praying for gospel opportunities. Because the overwhelming impression that is given by Paul here is of the gospel being shared by the lifestyle of these people that he's writing to. That for the true believer in Christ, the way in which they live should speak to people of Jesus. And we were thinking about that in the prayer meeting beforehand tonight. One of the pictures that is used of God's people in this world in the Scriptures is that we are ambassadors of Christ, and that means that we are His representatives in all situations. We are speaking up for Him in every circumstance, as an actual earthly ambassador or diplomat does. So, people, be careful in how you speak to those who are outside the kingdom. Because if yours, your speech is, is full of gossip and angry words and loose talk, that can cost you your witness. And that is not a good thing. So instead, verse 6, Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And when we think about that, when we think about that calling, we know that this has to be a Holy Spirit thing, that the only way in which I, the only way in which you this week, in situations in work, in situations in your home, in situations in your community and your neighborhood, will be able to have conversation that is full of grace, that is seasoned with salt, is by the work of God's Holy Spirit in your life. By keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, so that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your actions and in your words. Paul urges believers to make the most of every opportunity. And I don't know about you, but I count those as words of rebuke because I think in ministry and in everyday life of opportunities that I let slip away. Opportunities where a word could have been spoken a word could have been left with someone about Jesus, about the gospel, and for whatever reason, that opportunity is missed. But when you think about it, if you and I have experienced the gift of grace, then there should be such a desire to share that with others. Don't hold back. I say that to myself, and I say that to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Don't hold back from making Jesus known to others. And tonight, this is clear 
and it is direct teaching for us from God's Word. And I wonder, is this how it is in our lives? Only you will know that as you search your own heart this evening, maybe continuing to reflect on this and pray about this later. And this is this how it will be here in the congregation of Connor, in the church year, in the new session that lies ahead, where this would be a place where we speak to God about people. Come and join us as we do that, where this would be a place where we are equipped and then scattered, sent out each week to speak to people about God, both formally in the organizations and the activities and the ministries that happen here, and then each day in our own lives as we take seriously God's calling on our life. Folks, in a confused and confusing world, it can be so easy to lose any kind of sense of direction. But tonight we are clear, this is what the Lord wants us to be about. This is who the Lord wants us to be. And this is the, the task that His people in Christ have been called to. And just dream for a moment. We have a God who will, who will do things beyond our prayers, beyond our expectations beyond the things that we can imagine in our minds, but just think of the difference that God could bring to our church. Think of the transformation that He could bring to our area if we lived in such a way. I was sharing with someone from the church family just about this the other day. We were talking about our community around us, and, and think about our village green, which we call it now. A few years ago, it was a mess. It was a, a dumping site. Look at it today. And could it be that God will redeem things like that in our community as He redeems people? Think about how our community could become because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our prayer to Him tonight is this, Lord, open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery the gospel, the mind-blowing gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.